You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's read from God's Holy Word now, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, the first eight verses, and then 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1. Matthew 9, beginning at verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to men. And then 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This afternoon, I'd like to proclaim to you the word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 11 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from all our sins, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. To those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints in themselves or anywhere else also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus, for one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept this Savior must find him in him all that is necessary for their salvation. 
brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that includes the boys and girls who belong to the Lord too. With the federal elections and numerous other issues, there are all kinds of polls and surveys done to find out what people think and how they feel about certain issues. Now imagine if there was a survey with a question in it. <clears throat> Someone came to the, your door with a survey and asked you the following question. What's the single biggest thing in your life that you'd like to be delivered from? Have changed and be delivered from? What do you think most people in our country would answer to that? And I think... I suspect a lot of people would say something like, you know, I'd, I'd like to get rid of my health problems, like to be delivered from my disability, I'd like to get rid of my addiction to alcohol or drugs, I'd like to overcome some other obsession I might have or difficulty, trouble in my life maybe relationship problems, or I'd like to be delivered from my financial problems. If we had a survey like that, with that question on it, in this congregation, what would the response be? Would it be a whole lot different? than out in the world in general? I'm afraid that quite often what counts for people out there also counts for us, doesn't it? We so easily forget the biggest predicament we actually need to be delivered from, don't we? We know it in our minds, you know, it's on paper that our sin, we have it on paper that our sin is the biggest thing that we need to be delivered from, saved from. But in our hearts and in our experiences, other difficulties seem to weigh a lot heavier and be a lot more serious and real than the problem of our sin and guilt before God. But the thing is, and this is why we also need to pay attention to this every time again in the Catechism too, and why we need to be in church on Sundays, one day out of the seven, we need to understand that We all desperately need salvation from our sins more than we even understand ourselves. And that salvation has to come through Jesus, whose name means Savior, because he saves us from our sins. And I preach to you the gospel as we confess that in Lord's Day 11 with this theme then. Jesus is called Savior because he saves us from our sins. And we see 
two things in connection with that. First of all, he's our complete Savior. And secondly, he's our only Savior. Jesus is called Savior because he saves us from our sins. We, we see he's our complete Savior and our only Savior. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, our sin is the biggest problem in our life. And it's important that we realize that, that we accept that, that we think about that. Because it's easier said than done to understand that that is your biggest problem. And that's also because we live in a society which has very little notion of sin. People in general today figure for themselves what is right and what's wrong. And that's why more and more things that God tells us are sins in his word are not regarded as sin at all anymore, even if they were in the past in our society. That's also what makes it so hard to testify about Jesus to people who don't know him today. And that's because a lot of people aren't very receptive to the idea that they're sinners and that they need salvation. Maybe they believe in some kind of a higher being, but they figure that if they do their best to do right and they don't harm others, then there's no big problem, is there? God will take me the way I am. I haven't been really bad. God will take me the way I am if there is a God up there. Congregation, if you think like that and you don't see sin as the biggest problem of your life, you don't need Jesus, Savior. You don't need to be saved from your sins. Then the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't worth a thing to you. Then the name Jesus, which means Savior, doesn't really have any meaning for you either. See, the only, you only see the significance of the name Jesus and the value of what that name stands for if you really know what your greatest trouble and problem in life is. And if you face that problem honestly, we're all sinners. And we all increase our debt before God every day again. And it's not just to, enough just to know that in our head and to accept that as a truth on paper. It also has to be felt in our hearts if we're going to be true believers. If there's anything I need to be delivered from, anything I need fixed in my life, then it's my sin before God and my guilt with Him. And without that, if that's not taken away and dealt with, then everything else in my life is useless. And being saved from our sins 
in reality is then much, much more important than being delivered from your sickness or pain or relational or financial difficulties, no matter how serious they might seem. And they can get pretty serious. And you see that also in the order of the Lord's Days in the Catechism, by the way. Lord's Day 11 comes right after Lord's Day 10. And you might remember that in Lord's Day 10, we confess God's providence, God's total control of our lives so that nothing at all, good or bad, happens without His will, His fatherly will. That providence, that divine control over all of life can raise all kinds of difficult questions with people, too. Why does God allow a tragedy like that flood in India or the unrest in Pakistan in which there is so much suffering and death by people who have nothing to do with that? Innocent victims. Why is there so much suffering in this world? Why do I have to deal with what has happened in my own life? And terrible things can happen in people's lives that they have to deal with for the rest of their life. Why? If you get into those kind of questions, it can sometimes seem as if those disasters and difficulties are the biggest problems of your life. And if you keep trying to figure out the whys and the wherefores, you can get stuck in those questions. And congregation, there's only one way out of those questions about why this or why that in my life as raised by Lord's Day 10. That is if you make progress to Lord's Day 11. That way is the the name Jesus, which we confess in Lord's Day 11. His name means Savior. He brought salvation, deliverance from all our misery our sins and misery and our troubles. We often don't see that. That trouble and sorrow and suffering and loneliness occupies us, preoccupies us. And there are still so many questions to which we don't receive any answers. And then it doesn't seem as if Jesus really saves us at all then it seems that he is not a complete savior, as his name suggests. But he is. The thing is, he's not finished with his work of salvation yet. Deliverance is a process. And he started with the biggest problem, which is our sin. And he fixes that, and then in time he comes to the other things. And he'll fix them. He'll fix all our other problems too. And you can think here of the paralyzed man who was let down through the roof to Jesus by his friends in Matthew, as we read. And what was the first thing the Lord said to him? Son. Your sins are forgiven. The Lord saw their faith. Figured I can start there. Son, your sins are forgiven. What? The man is paralyzed. Is he really that worried about his sins or his paralysis? But you see, Jesus begins with dealing with the man's most important problem. 
his sins. And only afterward does he say to him, get up, take up your mat and go home. Only afterward does Jesus heal that man of his physical paralysis to show that he has the authority and power above all to forgive sins. That healing of that man after he had declared, after Jesus had declared his sins were forgiven was a powerful proclamation, congregation, that our sin is our biggest difficulty and issue, the biggest issue of our life, and that it needs to be dealt with first and foremost and above and beyond everything else. Only after our sins have been dealt with can and will all the other issues be dealt with too. And they'll be dealt with in due time. The Lord's time. And again, the thing is, the Lord begins with the most important thing. Our sins which have wrecked our relationship with the Almighty God, our Creator. And it would be totally just of God if He just let His wrath go against us and the whole universe just disappeared. But fortunately, He doesn't do that. No. He sent Jesus, His Son. And Jesus took our sins and guilt on Himself. And He bore that full punishment we deserved. He was cursed. He was forsaken by God on the cross, even though He was perfectly innocent. And because of that, we may have peace with God. We can approach God and ask for His blessing and goodness because Jesus has reconciled us to Him. And see, congregation, in dealing with our sins, Jesus has dealt with the root of all the other troubles and, and problems that flow out of that in our lives. The thing is, Jesus didn't start mopping up while the pipe was still leaking. He first fixed the leak, and now he's busy mopping up. He's working towards the complete renewal and cleansing of all things to the new earth, where all the effects of our sin and guilt will be done away with forever. And the thing is, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we have to keep in mind and heart that our sins are the biggest problem of all. And we can take to heart the promise that Jesus has dealt with all of them, with our sins completely. That's what His name means. Savior saves us from all our sins. And now that He has done that, He is on the way to dealing with all the rest too. And He will. We can trust that. He's dealt with the root the other things will be fixed too. And if we keep that in mind, when we wonder why this trouble or this disaster, we have our answer, don't we? Jesus has dealt with the root of all our trouble already on the cross. And we can trust and believe He's going to deal with all the rest too. He's, he'll do that in His time. 
But first things first. The thing is, he's a complete savior. He saves us from all our troubles. The biggest, which is sin, first of all. Saves us from that. Later, all the rest. Just trust him. He'll work it all for our complete salvation. He's a complete savior. Let's seek everything in him. And we won't be put to shame. Our second point was Jesus is also our only savior. Congregation, we confess in Lord's Day 11 that salvation is to be sought or found in no one else but Jesus. Nobody else. So the name Jesus, Savior, reminds us of our greatest need, salvation from sin, but it shows us in the second place that salvation can't be found anywhere else. He is the only one. It's futile to look anywhere else. Question 30 asks, did those who look for their salvation or well-being in saints in themselves or anywhere else also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? And the answer No, they do not. Although they boast of being His by their deeds, they deny the only Savior and Deliverer, Jesus. Either one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a perfect, complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept the Savior have in Him all they need for their salvation. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we have to understand that man's problem lies not only in his inability to recognize what his real problem is, his sin and misery, It also lies in his refusal to look beyond himself for help. And that's part of the, part of the problem because of our fall. That we have become by nature want to do it ourselfers. By nature we're bound and determined to find our own way out of our troubles and difficulties. We figure we can fix things ourselves. And we live in a society that preaches that man can fix his own problems. And you listen to the politicians as they're campaigning here and in the States. And it seems they promise to fix all the problems. And people want to hear that. And you know, you hear that You know, almost every time I hear on the news about a judicial inquiry into this accident or wrongful imprisonment or or so on, that you hear in that a determination of man to fix his own problems. He figures he can do it. I don't say that every inquiry into a disaster or a tragic death is senseless, but so often you hear the people who push for those judicial inquiries say they want to have it so that it'll never happen again. Oh, yeah. The sense, you see, is the sense is that people can fix things here and make life perfect here. And that's the kind of society and culture we live in. Man's tendency by nature, sinful nature, is to take the full load on himself. He thinks he can do it. And his sinful pride, he doesn't want to ask God for help. 
to look outside of himself for help. He refuses to admit that when it comes to sin, as well as to effects of sin, he's actually totally helpless. He's part of the problem. You see evidence of that all the time. There are people who really believe that man can lift himself above his daily troubles and strife. Lift himself by his own bootstraps. You hear people say that crime and violence and hatred and war in our world is not the result of a sinful heart, but the problem, a problem of an environment or of opportunity or of self-esteem. And that those things could be fixed if those other causes were changed. To be fixed with intelligence and togetherness and some inherent leftover goodness and so on. If we could only give everybody the same opportunities in life. If we could only surround people with the same kind of positive influences. If we could only offer them the same quality of education if we could only organize the same level of income for everybody, then we would see an end to the trouble, the robberies, the murders, the rapes, the abuse, and other problems in society. God's word tells us it ain't going to happen, folks. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says that man's heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Beyond cure. In the very best neighborhoods, in the most loving homes, in the best education systems, in the wealthiest of nations, we find that man is cursed with a common problem. Man's soul is lost of itself, lost in sin. And he can't do anything about it, really. He can't cure himself. Who can save a lost soul? Who among men can assure a dying person that all their sins and transgressions are forgiven and that God waits with outstretched arms for them? Who among us can grant forgiveness and assurance and the gift of eternal life? Who can promise that everything will be made right and that there will be no more pain or sorrow or trouble anymore in the future. Who can do that? Nobody can. Except Jesus. Jesus, Savior. That was the testimony of Simon Peter in John 6, 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. That was the concluding statement of Peter's sermon in Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only Savior. Because only he can remove the root of our soul's impurity and misery. And give us the cure. Only he can cure us of the sin that lives in us. Only Jesus can deliver us from the curse of sin and death and hell and from the power. Only Jesus can rescue us from the coming wrath. 
Only Jesus can rescue us from the power of sin and Satan. Only Jesus can change and transform our hearts and minds by His Spirit so that we no longer have the appetite for sin, but instead long for what is holy and just and true and struggle to do it. Jesus, He's the only Savior because only He can provide the hope we need for this life and for the life to come. We don't have to expect our salvation or peace and comfort from dead saints or from any ability within ourselves or from mighty and intellectual people in mankind in the end. No, we need to look only and always to the one who gave himself completely and fully for sinners. Jesus, he alone has the cure for the brokenness of life. Every aspect of it. In the Bible, you see people always trying to undermine that Jesus only Savior already. And they go after other gods. The Bible is just full of it. And it's the same today. Other gods. Gods of their own design who figure they could provide deliverance for them. They, we read in 1 Thessalonians 1 how the believers in Thessalonica turned from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Jesus, the name means He alone can save us from sin and all its consequences. All, totally. I recently read in Canadian Christianity magazine, it's kind of interesting congregation to pick up those magazines sometimes and read through Canadian Christianity. Quite a general Christian magazine, but interesting to read. There's an article about the so-called Church of Oprah. Oprah Winfrey, you know, through her TV show, has become one of the most influential people in North America today icon of church-free spirituality, as it's called. And the article stated that Oprah dismisses that there can only be one way to God, namely Jesus. Oprah says, I, I quote her, there couldn't be possibly be only one way to God. And you know, I wouldn't want to count the people who think like her today, who figure all religions and faiths are just basically fundamentally different ways to God and fundamentally all equal. But we confess the name Jesus, the only Savior, the only way to God. And we of all people need to keep saying this in this postmodern world in which everybody is supposed to leave everybody else to his own. That's not a popular message. Jesus only, but with the help of the Spirit Jesus gave us, we need to and we can testify to that everywhere and always, Jesus alone.
And not only with words, congregation, we need to testify to that, especially in deeds. We need to show brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that Jesus is everything for us then. If this is what we believe, it should be seen in your life that Jesus is your everything. Your only hope and salvation. And we need to show that in our lifestyle that our worship of Jesus, for instance, takes priority over everything else. We need to show that respect for Jesus' will takes precedence over our will or anybody else's. We need to show in our giving of gifts here in the church, for instance, that we acknowledge Him as the only hope and joy in life. I sometimes wonder, you know, with the deacons, how it can be that there are sometimes church members who pass on the collection bag without putting anything in it. Sometimes even Sunday after Sunday. How can you do that? How can they do that while in the same service they praise the name Jesus and confess Him as their only Savior from sin? The one who did everything they needed for salvation, for their the salvation of their lives completely from eternal wrath of God. How can you not give? Congregation, let's hear and let's say the name Jesus with joy. He's our complete Savior. He's our only Savior. Let's magnify and praise the glorious name of this Savior. And then also show in our walk of life that He is everything. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.